0: In the book of Philippians, and we're going to finish out today the series we've been going through entitled Context. So Philippians chapter four is where we're going to be, and uh, wrapping up this summer series we've done uh, looking at context. While you're turning there, let me just make mention of where we're headed starting next Sunday. We're going to begin a brand new series next Sunday. It's only going to be three weeks uh, in length. It's going to be somewhat of a, of, a, uh, of a shorter series, but the title of the series is If My People, and what we're going to be doing is looking through one single verse of Scripture, which may sound odd considering we just finished a uh, series entitled Context Today. But we're looking at one uh, single verse of Scripture. We're going to read it in context, I promise. And, uh, and breaking that down, one of the most clear passages of Scripture that we'll read that talk about God bringing revival to His people. And drawing his people close to himself. It is somewhat conditional. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, is going to be the focus of that series, if my people, and that will start next Sunday for three weeks. Please do not miss that series if you have to be away. Listen online on our website to the message. Um, we've had quite a few people here in our church praying for revival on the inside that God would begin to do a work in us that has not happened in a long time, individually, corporately, as a, as a uh, part of the body of Christ. And then also that he would bring not just revival on the inside, but also awakening on the outside. This is a community in which we live, in a city in which we live that desperately needs the gospel. We can't sit back and uh, do nothing. We need to take the message of the gospel to those around us, and we need to pray for God to break the hearts of those who don't know him to show their, their need for a savior. And so we're praying for God to bring revival on the inside, awakening on the outside, and I'm really excited about what God may do through this series starting next Sunday, if my people. So for today, we wrap up context. It's been a good ride. I know for me, at least it has. I can't speak for you, but I've really grown as I've prepared through these messages, and uh, it's been challenging to me, and it's, it's also helped me to be reminded of some valuable truths as to how to read God's Word. This has been the goal for this series, context, has been to be good students of Scripture, right? That we, we understand how to read the Bible. And we understand how not to get over the guardrail and into the high weeds uh, to where we're misunderstanding, misapplying God's Word. We want to deal with it faithfully. We want to apply it accurately to our lives. And so we've given principles all through this series that hopefully you've jotted down, you've remembered, you've kept in mind, that's helped you in your own study of Scripture, uh, and you've been able to apply them on a weekly basis. But we've also looked at specific passages that are often taken out of context so that we can understand those individual passages better as well. Context is so important. I mean, if there was one overarching principle in this whole entire series, it's been that context determines meaning. We have to read the Bible in context. Just as it gets us in trouble in conversation, when we take things out of context, it happens when we read Scripture as well. I'll, I'll give you a quick example, then we'll, we'll move on. I can honestly, with all faithfulness, with all accuracy, stand here on this platform and say something that maybe not all of you are familiar with that my father, from the earliest days I can remember in my life, now he's in heaven today, but as early as I can remember, was in and out of jail all through my life. All throughout the course of my life, as far back as I can remember, he was in and out of jail for years and years. In fact, it could be said accurately, 50 years of his life was spent in and out of jail, in and out of jail, weekly. Now, you take that, con- you take that out of context, and you've got a really good, juicy story. But when you hear that story in context, my father was a lawyer and so for 50 years, he was in and out of jail, right? Talking with people that he would be representing, having conversation with them and helping to, uh, to best represent them whenever they would stand before a judge or a jury. And so in context, that is a completely different statement, right? And so whenever we take things out of context, including God's word, if we treat God's word that foolishly, right? That carelessly, it's gonna get us in trouble as a result of it. It, it doesn't come, this doesn't come with a magic bean, right? That if we just open it and, and, and point to a verse and read it, somehow God is mysteriously going to help us to apply it faithfully. I mean, we have to put work towards it. Obviously, the Holy Spirit helps us with that, but we have to be students of God's Word to be able to read it, to understand it, and to live it. That is the goal. Now, here's what helps us to understand the need for that. 2 Timothy, you don't have to turn there, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 through 17. Look at what Paul says to Timothy here. Paul uh, Timothy was like his protege. It was like his son in the faith, in a sense, a young pastor that uh, God would use greatly. But Paul here is writing to him. Look at what he says. He says to Timothy, you, however, continue in the things that you've learned and have become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. Let me just pause here for a second. It's interesting that Paul uses that phrase, sacred writings. Did Paul have a New Testament whenever he wrote this letter to Timothy? No, he didn't, right? You've got something Paul didn't have. Paul was living it, but we have it actually written and bound that we can, in a way that we can trust. However, when Paul is speaking to Timothy, he is saying to him that you have known the sacred writings. And so what Paul is speaking of here is the whole entire Old Testament. And to me, it's significant that when Paul describes the Old Testament, he describes it as sacred writings right today when people say well the you know the bible is just written by man it's not trustworthy it's not reliable ask that to paul because paul treated the whole entire old testament and if he were here today he would treat the new testament this way as well as god's word so he says to timothy he says that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are what able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation wisdom and salvation always track back to scripture It is required that one hear the message of the gospel captured in the pages of Scripture in order to have a relationship with God. So he says that it's that word that gives us wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, "...all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness." So that, here's the result, the man of God or the woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, now, here's what we have to understand. Here's what we have to keep in mind. For far too many Christians, our mentality of God's Word is that we'll put it on the shelf and we'll take it off next Sunday. And if we deal with it between the Sundays, we deal with it oftentimes somewhat sporadically. There's no real consistency. There's no real understanding of how to read Scripture, how to study it, how to apply it to our lives. And what happens is we've got, we've got believers that have a genuine relationship with God who only really significantly deal with this book one day of the week. And that's when someone walks them through in a small group, in a grow group, or in a church service. But between the Sundays, there's almost like an, an anemia right? that creeps in, a spiritual anemia to where we, we're, we're malnourished on God's Word because we don't know how to handle God's Word for ourselves. We don't understand how to, how to break it down. We don't understand how to, how to read it, how to live it, how to apply it to our lives on a daily basis. And what happens is, is that, that our spiritual growth becomes stagnant because we don't know how to be good students of God's Word, reading it, understanding it, and ultimately living it. We don't have any means for teaching. We don't have any means for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Therefore, we're not ultimately equipped and adequate for every good work because we don't know how to handle God's Word. Here's what I found in my life. I found that Scripture fills a lot of roles for me specifically, and I'm sure for you as well. If we look at life as a journey, right, we, 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 you know, we come to Christ and the, the journey continues. There are potholes, there are dips, there are turns, there are things we didn't see coming. Life is a journey. Here, here's what I found in my life through Scripture, that there are times in God's Word where it serves for me and for you as a guardrail, it serves as a guardrail. In other words, it puts boundaries, it puts a fence in place for us so that we know we're not to go over the guardrail. If you're driving you over the guardrail, that's not a good thing, right? You've got EMS coming, you've got officers coming to the scene, you've got issues if you go over the guardrail. Scripture gives us guardrails numerous places. Proverbs 5, for example, it tells us about how to walk in purity in very real, uh, specific ways, how to walk in purity, who to avoid, (laughs) you know, how to avoid impurity in our lives. It puts guardrails in our lives, immediately when we read Scripture. We find numerous guardrails as it relates to every single area of our lives. Scripture also serves as an airbag, right? That's kind of the way I look at it as well. It serves as an airbag. When I was in college uh, up in Athens, I was riding uh, with a buddy of mine in his car. He had an old Mustang. The, uh, he had seatbelts, but the seatbelts were tied up because they didn't work, right? And uh, obviously, this was like a 1960-something, I think it was before I was born, it was, it was made. And um, just an old old car, so it didn't have airbags. And uh, sure enough, we're driving um, uh, right near Alps Dollar Theater, for those of you familiar with, with Athens. We're driving, and this lady in a big old gigantic tank of a vehicle turns in front of us, and bam, we smacked that car. And I smacked the windshield, got a nice little beauty mark up here, and a trip to the ER for it, all because we didn't have airbags. All because we have airbags. What does an airbag do? An airbag softens the blow. And in your life, right, just because you go to church doesn't give a free pass. Just because we know Jesus doesn't give us a free pass. And there are times in this journey we call life, in marriage, in finances, in relationships, in in all area of our lives, where we're going to take a shot, right? Because life doesn't care that you're a Christian. Life doesn't care that you're a Christian. And there are going to be times when life seems unfair. You're going to be in the deepest, darkest valley. It's like the lights are dimming, right? Everything's getting darker and there's going to be a difficulty that comes in your life, and what you'll find, and many of you have already learned this, is that it was God's Word that served as that airbag, and it softened the blow, right? It may have been a divorce. It may have been a financial collapse. It may have been a a consequence from a poor choice that you made. It may have been a a loss in your life. It may have been uh, getting fired from your job. There may have been a host of different reasons, and it was God's Word that served as an airbag for you, it was between you and the harshness of that blow, and it softened it just a bit to where you had hope, and you were able to persevere, and God molded and shaped you and changed you because of what he communicated to you through his word. There are times where God's word is like a, it's like a headlamp, right? It shines down the path, gives us direction. It's like a street light. Sometimes I found for me, it tells me, tells me when to stop, tells me when to go, tells me when to go slower. And when we don't spend time in His Word, we're ultimately the ones who suffer. Rick Warren, in one of his books, talks about the three reasons that believers don't spend time in Scripture. He gave three reasons specifically. The second reason that he gave was because many believers are just not motivated. Motivated for other priorities, unmotivated as it relates to the study of God's Word. The third reason he gave was that for many believers, we don't spend time in God's Word because we're just lazy. <laughs> There's no other excuse. We're just lazy. But the first reason that he gave is kind of the impetus between or behind this message this morning. The first reason that he gave is because we don't know how to study God's Word. No one's ever really taught us. Outside of books that I've read, outside of my time in seminary, I can probably look at three guys in my life that poured into me with such significance that I can say they taught me how to study Scripture. Outside of those guys, I can't really remember anyone that sat me down and said, Brooks, let me teach you how to be a student of God's Word. And I'd be willing to say for most of you, you've just kind of picked up along the way. You've got a devotional that you use. and. And yet, you you kind of have this feeling that you know what I just I wish I knew how to study Scripture a little bit better. You know, hopefully this series has helped in understanding God's Word. But this morning, I want to close out this series in a in a very very unique way, um, just very very different to the point to where it's going to seem less like a message probably and more like a do it yourself. YouTube video, okay? So that's kind of how we're going to finish out the next 15 minutes or so. Just imagine, you know, I'm a YouTube video guy, and uh, and it's a little do-it-yourself. I want to walk through what it looks like to study God's Word. I want to help you to understand. For some of you, this is not going to apply because you've been students of God's Word. You know how to do the quiet time. You know how to spend time with the Lord. You know how to sift through His Word and pull out truths that are going to be helpful for you. But for many of you, I'd be willing to say, maybe because you're new in the faith or maybe because you've been one of those unmotivated or maybe even lazy people, right, that hasn't prioritized it, I want you to see so that none of us can say, no one ever taught me how to study Scripture. And that's what I want us to do as we close out this series, having gained hopefully great insights for these past seven weeks or so, but today looking at how we study God's Word. So this is the do-it-yourself version of the message. All right, Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. In just a few moments, I'm going to get there. We're going to actually apply what we're looking at. But let me give you a quick acronym that'll help you in your own personal quiet times with the Lord. That acronym is the word SOAP, S O A. P. Some of you are familiar with this. You got all kind of acronyms out there that help us to understand how to study Scripture. There are all kind of different methods of how to study Scripture, from very very simple to very very complex. This is probably one of the absolute simplest, simplest, simplest. There you go. English language is a beautiful thing. All right. So the word soap, that's going to be our acronym today. The the, the first letter, the letter S, stands for. Scripture. Now, you may wonder why I would include such a no-brainer on there, but I have to say that when you spend time with God, when you have a quiet time, it always must include Scripture. Here's why I say this, that probably for some of you, if I were to ask you, and I'm not, I'm not your judge, obviously, but if I were to ask you, hey, what do you do for a quiet time, for your daily time with the Lord? You would, some of you would say, well, I have a long commute to work, I drive 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes to work. And every day when I drive to work, Monday through Friday, I have on my Christian radio station or I have on a Christian, you know, preacher or pastor that I like to hear. And that's my time with God. That's my quiet time. And those things are really, really good. I'm not saying those things are, are, uh, are not important because they are. I mean, it exposes us to scripture in some ways. It exposes us to God's truth. However, Christian radio and listening to another person cannot substitute the simple truth that God's Word is living and active and it cuts down to the very deepest part of who we are, and it speaks into our lives. Isaiah chapter 55 tells us that it's God's Word that will not return to him void without accomplishing the purpose for which it's sent, without accomplishing the desire for which he sent it. So only God's Word fills that role in our lives. Christian radio is helpful, Christian music is wonderful, but they cannot substitute time in God's Word. So when you decide to have a quiet time, and if you've never done this before, if you've really drifted, here's what I want to encourage you. Start with about five minutes, maybe ten. Don't try to you know, start drinking out of a fire hydrant. Sit down for two hours tomorrow morning, and then you're, you know, you're quit by Wednesday. Start with five minutes or ten minutes, but sit down with Scripture. St- sit down with Scripture. Open God's Word in front of you. And use that as the basis for your time with Him. God speaks through His Spirit. He speaks through His Word, all right? So it starts with Scripture. The second letter, the letter O, stands for observation. Here's what you're doing. You are just observing God's Word. Here's what happens to me at times in my life. I get busy just like you do. Just because I work in a church doesn't mean that I have extra time, right? Because there are demands and responsibilities that are here that don't always include the opening of Scripture. So I have responsibilities, demands. I walk the same life journey as you do. And so I have been at places many, many times, sad to say, where my quiet time consisted of a quick read of a couple of verses. God, thank you for this. Please bless my day. Amen. And off I go out the door. And all it was was a very superficial, it's like a dusting of the Bible, right? There was no deep you know, digging, just a dusting. And, and here's what we have to be mindful of. Think of yourself for, you know, for a moment as living back in the 1800s, you know, the 18, uh, 18, what, what year, where's Jack? Is Jack in here? 1849, there you go, 49ers, 1849, and it's the gold rush days, right? The reason I asked for Jack, because he corrected my year after the first service, so he's probably not in here. So it's the 1840s, and you're living in the West, right, and you need gold, you need to find gold, because if you don't find gold, you don't get food, And if you don't find gold, you don't have a place to live. And if you don't have gold, you don't have the basic necessities of your life that are met. Here's what's going to happen. Every single day when you go out panning for gold, you're not just a superficial dusting where you put a little scoop in and dump it in and sift it and say, well, nothing here. Let's just go on about our business. No, you're going to be digging. You're going to be digging deeply and you're going to be sweating and you're going to be working. Why? Because your life depends on it. And it's that same mentality that we have to keep in mind that when we come to God's Word, we can't just do a quick dusting over the top, read a verse, thank you, God, this makes me feel really warm and fuzzy, give me a good day, amen, and then move on. No, we've got to be students of His Word, man. We've got to dig deeply, and it's going to cost you, and it's going to take effort, and it's going to take a, a very possibly reprioritizing some other things in your life. But it's going it's to be, uh, at times, difficult And yet the rewards that come, as Psalm chapter 1 tells us, is that our life will be firmly planted, and there will be blessing that is there, all because of our time mining the truth out of God's Word. Here's what happens. The letter O, observation, that's what helps us to do that. And what you're doing when you read a passage of Scripture, when you're going through observation is you're just looking for things that stand out. When I was in college, I was a journalism major. My degree is in journalism. You've heard of the basic journalistic questions, right? Right? You're asking this text, who, why, when, where, how. You're asking all those basic questions when you read a text. Who is it that wrote this? Why is this here? Why does it say this particular statement? Uh, What is it that that God is trying to communicate here? You're asking those basic questions. You're looking for basic phrases and words and places. And and here's why this is important. Because if you're going to really be a student, you're going to apply some of the things we looked at a few weeks ago, and you're going to break out those study helps. And you're going to use a a cross-reference, which Jason spoke of a few weeks ago when he preached. You're going to use a Bible dictionary. You're going to use a concordance like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And you're going to begin to dig. And as you dig, it's like a well that just produces over and over and over in your life. And God's Word will begin to take shape. It'll begin to take life. It'll just begin jumping into areas of your life if we're only willing to observe what's there. The letter A stands for the word application. So you sit down with God, you've opened up scripture, you've begun to observe, you're taking notes. It's okay to write in your Bibles too, by the way. You're jotting things down, you're highlighting stuff. But then you're asking two key questions of that passage. And this is one of the things that I try to keep in mind when I preach. I don't do it as well as many, many, many others. But hopefully, in most every message I preach, I answer two questions for you from a text. So what? And now what? And we sit down and we read a passage of Scripture. We're asking those two questions. We read it, we've observed it, we've pulled stuff out, and we ask the question, so what? In other words, what is the implication of this in my life? Why would God even include this passage in His Word? So what? And then we're asking the question, now what? So what do I do now to apply this particular passage to my life? How do I put this, put handles to this to live it out in my life from this day forward? That's application. And the letter P is prayer. Where we close out our time with God after five minutes, ten minutes, half an hour, whatever you do. And we say, God, would you give me the courage now? To be able to live, th- live out what you've shown me, to put you on display, to trust you now with what you've shown me, to change what it is that you brought to light in my life. Would you give me courage to discard this sin that you've revealed to me through your time and your word? Would you give me courage to, to uh, walk in obedience here in this area where you've shown me in your word? Would you help me now to live this in the power of your Holy Spirit? Soap, right? You know people who need a little more soap, right? That was a joke. Pretty bad. Pretty bad joke. So, SOAP, S O A P, Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. So, what does it look like? Let's take a look. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god and the peace of god which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus you know you've begun with a passage of scripture this isn't a song this isn't somebody else you're listening to on a radio this is a an actual passage of scripture as you move beyond the Scripture into the observation part of your time with the Lord, you're beginning to circle keywords. Now, I didn't do extra study. I didn't break out commentaries for this particular passage by design because I wanted this to be simply a time that comes off the top of my head. I did make notes, but much of what I'm about to share has come out of either notes I've written in my Bible already or just what I recognize in the in the text, just like you would do in your own quiet time. What I noticed first was the word rejoice is used twice. That's interesting. Two times in one, one verse, Paul says ultimately to the Philippian believers, he says rejoice. Now, I remember when I was a kid, my mom, whenever she really wanted to uh, get a point across, she would often say it twice, all right? Your mom was probably the same way. And uh, if you were about to reach for something as a kid, that was dangerous. It wouldn't be, don't touch that. It would be, don't touch that, don't touch that, right? And you'd say it, you'd say it more than once and uh, you'd try to communicate. Some of you heard your names, obviously, more than once, perhaps in your life because you, uh, you know, your mom was trying to get a point across. You say things more than once when they're important. Paul here has used the word rejoice for a reason more than one time. He has said, rejoice. He's told them to rejoice specifically, not one time, but two times. He says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. That's an interesting word there, the word gentle. All of us could use a little reminder of the need for gentleness in our lives, in our relationships, in our marriages, with our kids. But he says, the Lord is near. He moves into verse 6 and he says, be anxious for nothing. He says, be anxious for nothing. That word anxious is a a key word there. If you were to look up the definition, you don't need to because most of you probably speak English better than I do. You understand what the word anxious means. It means to be pulled apart. It means to be distracted. It means to have a divided mind. That's what being anxious is. It means that that, that I can't focus. It means that that, that my mind is in two different places. I'm just wrangling over something. I've got intense worry going on. I'm, I'm facing anxiety. That's what it means to be anxious. Paul says, interestingly here, he gives a command to be followed. He says, be anxious, what? For nothing, he says. Why is it that we can be anxious for nothing? Why would God give us such a command? Because the verse before it, he says, the Lord is near. (laughs) No matter what we face, if my anxiety is related to the fact that I can't make my house payment on Monday, and I'm going to be kicked to the curb with all my stuff and my family too, and I'm anxious over that because I don't know what I'm going to do next, what happens is here, God gives me a promise. He says, be anxious, what? For nothing. Why? Because the Lord is right here with me. Everything that I face, He's going to walk with me through it. It doesn't mean that He's going to protect me from hard times in life. There's not one person, the Savior included, who ever had a holy protection around them that shielded them from the harshness of life. But God says, as a promise, He says, and as a command, He says, be anxious for nothing. Why? Because I'm right here with you. Verse 6, He says, but In other words, as a replacement to anxiety, he says, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here's what stands out. You see it as plain as I do. God says, don't do this, don't be anxious, but instead do this, pray. (laughs) Pray. And he's not talking again about this little, another little dusting of prayer, you know, God bless my life, amen. He's saying when you go through times that have resulted in anxiety in your life, and you do not know where you're going to go, and you're tempted to give up, you're tempted to throw in the towel, and you're tempted to to just absolutely uh, kick God to the curb because you don't feel like you can trust him. He said in those times rejoice. In those times take heart. God is near. And what you need to do, he says, is replace that anxiety ultimately with prayer. And you, when you, hit your knees and you cry out to God and you pour out the depths of your heart to Him, and in that prayer you demonstrate trust, God makes a promise. With another key phrase, the peace of God. He says, and the peace of God. In other words, when we replace our anxiety with prayer and we make our request known to God, by the way, what a great invitation that is. God invites our requests. (laughs) It says, the peace of God which, by the way, surpasses all comprehension. You won't be able to fully explain it. You won't be able to understand it, but it'll be there. He says, well, guard. What does that word guard mean? There's another key word. You circle it, you think it through. What does it mean to guard something? It means that it is locked down. It is garrisoned. And we only, by the way, guard those things that are important, don't we? You know, we lock our houses down at night because the lives of those inside are important. We guard and we garrison those things that have value. God says that it's his peace that surpasses all comprehension, which will guard what? Your hearts and your minds, not for every single person on the face of the planet, but only for those who know him in Christ Jesus. You observe the passage. You pull out things of value that are there that you've never seen before. You're jotting notes, you're thinking it through, you're chewing on it. And not every single passage of Scripture is going to Speak to you exactly the same. There's going to be times when this, this part is hard. But you're observing. next step is you begin to apply. So what? If you're the one who's anxious, so what's not too hard to answer. Because it's probably been a while since you've experienced the peace of God in your circumstances. And when he invites you to bring your request to him and to trade in your anxiety for his peace that guards and garrisons locks down your heart, (laughs) so what, again, is not hard to answer. So now what, God? Now what do I do? How do I apply this passage to my life? What do I do about these circumstances? What command is there for me to obey? What do I need to put away? I think it's real easy, right? We put away our anxiety, we replace it with prayer. I mean, knees on the floor, wear wear out your knees and... Pour out your request to God kind of prayer. And so we make a commitment. God, today, the best that I can, I pray and I ask you, each time my heart feels anxious, would you check me at that point and help me to pause and take a deep breath and give it to you in prayer? And you thank Him for His promise, and you move on in the power of His Holy Spirit. Soap, right? You just dealt with a passage of Scripture that you could read in 10 seconds and move on your merry way. But instead, you took 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30, and you dealt with it. and You thought it through. And when you do that day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, you become mature in your faith. And not much blows you over. Not much gets you down. And you begin to sing the praises like you never have. Not just when you're motivated by a great choir on a Sunday morning, but you sing praises on a Tuesday night, on a Thursday morning, Friday at lunch while you're at work. Because of God that you're getting to know, you're getting to know Him through the depths of His Word on a daily basis. And He's at work daily in your life. So here's what I ask of you as we close out this series. If you're not currently having a consistent time with the Lord... Would you be willing today to make a commitment five days over the next week to spend time with Him? And if you're not using a method of study, to simply apply that method that I call SOAP that you can find all over the internet, right? It's nothing I dreamed up, but just a very simple way of being able to read through Scripture. And if you're not using His Word or any kind of a reading plan at all, would you be willing to start, let's just say, in the book of James? You can cover the whole entire book. You do a chapter... If you do a chapter a day you can cover the whole book plus in a week or if you want to break it down and move slowly you can do that but would you commit today that over the course of this week you'll begin to spend rich time in God's word just simply using his word observing what it says looking to apply it to your life and praying that God would give you the courage to live it and not just read it and by the way if you've never given your life to Christ remember these promises are really only for those who know him there's no better time than today for right where you sit, to own your sin, admit that you've fallen short in the eyes of a God who's holy, and then to surrender your life to Jesus, who's already paid it, and ask Him to come and forgive you and take over. Hey, He'll hear that prayer, and He'll change your life, in many ways instantaneously, in others, over time, as you spend your life in His Word. Let's pray. God, none of us can say, We've never been shown how to be a student of your word. And yet, Lord, for all of us, starting with the guy who preaches every Sunday, we've all been through times in our life where your word was not the priority that it should be and where other things squeezed that time out or watered it down. Lord, we don't want to be believers that somehow hope for maturity in life and expect to get it with a minute and a half in your word every few days or so. God, we want to be people who are committed to walking deeply with you, knowing your heart, reflecting you to this world. And God, that really only comes when your spirit uses your word to change us from the inside out. And so God, how how effective could this ministry be if it was comprised of many, many, many people who had deep relationships with you, who could speak into the lives of those who don't know you, speak into the lives of those who struggle, and to be able to appoint them to you and to share the truths of your precious word. And so, God, help us to be committed to spending time with you starting, starting this week. And, God, I pray that you would help us to, over time to mature in our faith, that you would bring about in us a hunger and a thirst for you, for your word, bringing about revival even in our own lives, God place where we've never been before with you, and that you'd be stirring in the hearts and lives of people in this community who don't know you, awakening them to who you are and to their need for a Savior. And so God, whatever decisions we need to make today, help us to make them to be able to apply this to our lives. And God, may you be the one alone who gets the glory for it. For us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.